topic this uh, this morning is uh, Christian liberty. And uh, before we get into that, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll pray, and uh, hopefully this will be a blessing to you. Uh, Father, I do thank you uh, for um, the sacrifice of fellowship and be able to share in common around your word. Thank you for uh, revealing your truth to us and uh, allowing us to be able to understand it. It is not something that is mysterious. It is not something that has been locked away. Uh, it is something that we all as believers, uh, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, can, uh, can have a grasp of, can understand, uh, and that uh, it might not only uh, affect our minds, but uh, that it might uh, work into our lives that, uh, that we can live it out. And so we thank you so much for that. And just please help us to better understand the idea of the, the liberty that we have in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. So a number of years ago, I worked for a friend of mine. He was a landscaper. And um, for my birthday, he, uh, he gave me a James Taylor CD. And uh, he gave it to me, and I was like, am I allowed to take this? Is, it, is this okay? Is this, I mean, like, I mean, I... Before I was saved, I used to listen to James Taylor, but I'm not, am, I like, am I allowed to do this, right? And uh, this kind of broached the idea of Christian liberty, right? Uh, is this something that I am allowed to do? Um, a few years ago, I heard an area youth pastor uh, make the statement that he believed it was God's will for every single Christian young person to go to a Christian college. And I said... <coughs> Can he say that? Where, where is that? Um, and I went to a Christian college, so I'm not discounting that. But can he say every single, to a rule, right? Can he say that? Uh, and so you have the idea of, uh, we see in Scripture, Christian liberty. Uh, and, it, and it's a big topic that's out there. Um, but many times I think there, it's too narrowly defined. Um, and I think what we're going to see here in Galatians chapter 5.13, it very, I think you, you have in, in one passage here, very succinctly, uh, we're able to look at this idea of, uh, of Christian liberty and what God intends for us to understand about that. Um, Galatians 5.13, uh, Paul writes, he says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Uh, to really, uh, I guess, in really to, to kind of uh, appreciate this, let's, if you're in your Bible, we'll turn to Galatians 5, and actually we need to do a little run-up here. And uh, let's go ahead and start with verse 6. Uh, verse 6, so we can get a little of the context of the chapter. Uh, Paul says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. And then we have our verse. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And so understanding the context of Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians is very helpful in understanding this passage. Um, Galatians is not a book about uh, initial salvation. That's a term I know many of you here are familiar with, but referring to that moment in time 
when somebody puts their faith and trust in Christ's finished work on the cross for, their, for our sins uh, and the fact that he was buried and he, he rose again. Uh, the moment any individual puts their faith in that promise of God, that forgiveness and acceptance with him is based solely upon that work of Jesus Christ, uh, we, are, we are saved. We would call that that initial salvation, whether you're five years old, whether you're 20, whether you're 60 years old, when you put your faith in that, uh, that is the moment uh, that your salvation began. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for these believers, after Paul left, there was a group of Judaizers that came in and were telling them, in order to live the Christian life now, you've got to go back to the Old Testament law. You've got to incorporate that into your life in order to really begin maturing, really to live the Christian life. And Paul came back, and uh, he was he was throwing haymakers, right? He's uh, he, he was he was not holding anything back when he was telling these guys that you guys have you guys have lost it, you guys have flipped your lid. What are you doing? He said, "You guys started out great, right? You you're you're walking in the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit was changing you and maturing you, and now you've gone back to this. And so this is the context in which uh, he is expressing to them that." these believers, and really all believers, that we have been called unto liberty. Uh, we're going to see here that the context here is that this liberty that he's referring to specifically is a liberty from the Old Testament law. And you're going to, we'll see that in verse 1 of chapter 5. But this word call, what does it mean to be called unto liberty? Um, we see a couple definitions there. It has the idea of, it can, it can have a, a variety of, of ideas, but uh, to call someone's name, hey, yo, buddy, come here, right? You know, hey, right? I just met uh, Rick over there, and, you know, he, if you ever want to know how to pronounce H2O, talk to Rick, right? He'll, he'll inform you how to say water, not, not water, all right? What, there you go, water, baby. W-U-D-E-R, water. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but you call somebody you know around Philly hey yo hey yo yeah come here Andrew get over here right um, but it also has the idea of to invite an invitation you see it used in John chapter two verses one and two uh, where Jesus and his disciples they were called to the ceremony in Cana they were invited right um, we also see that um, in Acts chapter four. Uh, the apostles, following the ascension of Christ, following Pentecost, they were preaching in Jerusalem, and the Jewish rel religious leadership didn't like it very much. So they got called into the principal's office, right? Hey, apostles, come on in here. You guys are, uh, you guys are preaching something you ought not to. You guys got to you know, hush, hush, right? They were called by them. Uh, Romans 8.30 uh, we are told that we are called, believers are called to salvation. You think of that point in time before you were saved and uh, when the Holy Spirit was working in your life. Uh, I can think of, uh, I ran from the Lord for about nine years. First time I heard the gospel as a 10-year-old, it was just, it was as clear as day. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm going to hell. I, I'm a sinner. And that, yeah, that makes sense. But I didn't want it. Right? But over the course of those nine years, the Holy Spirit would poke and remind me that I'm not saved, that I needed to trust Christ, that I'm not good like God was good, and I deserve that judgment. And then we see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, um, actually, let's, let's go ahead and turn there, since we're already in Galatians. Uh, 
Paul tells these believers that we have been called or invited uh, to live by grace. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. We have been invited to live by the grace of God. Uh, really, this Christian liberty falls in under that idea. God's grace. So, uh, the grammar points to this being when he says that we have been called unto liberty as the, of the purpose or the end of that invitation is to live free. Um, my friend Travis back there, he's got uh, three daughters and uh, he's a very girly dad, right? He wears all the jewelry they give him. He wears the Disney shirts, right? So this, this uh, illustration is for you, Travis. But uh, when, when Cinderella, right, when she got the invitation, what was the point of it? What was the purpose? What was go to the ball, right, to meet the prince or whatever? Um, I have, you know, my two oldest are boys, so I don't really do that kind of stuff. But I've, I've heard, you know. <laughs> um, so my poor girls, right? Um, and so the idea is this invitation to live by liberty. So what is this, what is this liberty? Right? What is this freedom that we see in Scripture that, that we've been called, we've been invited to live by? And we're going to see that it's, a, it's an amazing privilege uh, of grace that we have to be able to live by this liberty. So let's define this word liberty. Um, you see it there, uh, eleutheria, uh, maybe butchering that a little bit there, but uh, it is the word is twice, it is, uh, twice rendered freedom in the RV, in, uh, Galatians 5.13. The phraseology is that of the manumission from slavery, which among the Greeks was affected by a legal action, excuse me, um, action. According to that which the manumitted slave was purchased by a god, as the slave could not provide the money, the master paid it in the temple. Uh, the other definition that we have there it says it means perp- freedom, independence in the sense of being independent of others, being able to dispose. Uh, so this is terminology that we are very familiar with here in the United States. Um, Pat, um, Pastor Kevin, you were talking to some of the guys about Patrick Henry's speech and the reenactment of Patrick Henry's speech, right? Give me liberty or give me death. Uh, don't tread on me. You know, we've got the stickers, the bumper stickers, don't tread on me, right? Liberty is something that, political liberty is something we take very uh, seriously here in the United States. Uh, and that's this idea here, freedom, independence, uh, being independent from others, uh, being able to have some kind of authority over us. Um, and so what does, what does, what kind of freedom do we have as believers? Well, we're going to see that uh, in Scripture, we're going to see that really the believer has uh, a Christian liberty that it's, it's, it's one coin, but there's two sides of it. Uh, the first thing we're going to see here, and, and that's what Paul is talking about in the context specifically in Galatians chapter 5, is a freedom from law. Um, this has been covered um, by pretty much at some point this conference uh, by all the teachers. Um, how we are not under the Mosaic law. Uh, I know, Pastor Kevin, you were talking about uh, speaking on this uh, on the West Coast just recently, uh, how it's not just the Mosaic law, but it's any kind of religious law uh, that, that we have a freedom from. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 1, Paul introduces this chapter and he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty 
wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Uh, This yoke of bondage that he is referring to in verse 1 is the yoke uh, of the Old Testament law. Uh, Peter said that in the Council of Jerusalem, right? When there were, there were Judaizers and they were, they were wanting to put Gentile believers under the Old Testament law, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 hold the phone, guys. Why are we going to put them under this bondage that our fathers were unable to, to handle? And so this idea that the Mosaic law was a bondage. And so Paul here... In the strongest possible terms, he tells these believers to remain immovable in regards to this liberty that we have in Christ. And he says, Christ is the one that freed us. He is the one that has provided us this freedom. And he says, don't get, don't get all wound up back into this type of lifestyle. Um, when, I'm sorry, when's the first session over? Ten? Okay, thank you. Second um, Corinthians chapter three verse seventeen says, "Now the, the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, uh, one of Steve's favorite passages of Scripture, um, is contrasting the superiority of the New Testament, right? The, this new arrangement that Christ has provided for us through his cross work and through the resurrection versus uh, the old covenant. And he's comparing them and, and he talks about how the, how the Mosaic law was a ministration of condemnation. It was a ministration of death. And he says, but now what we have as believers in Christ with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he says that now um, where the Spirit is, in whom the Spirit resides, there is freedom. Um, Romans 8.15 says, We as believers have not received that spirit of bondage resulting in fear. Sometimes I think it's helpful to put, put yourself back in um, you know, the robes of, or the garments or sandals of, a, of an Old Testament Jew. And you think if you took, if you took the law seriously, right? And you think about what Don talked about the other day when he talked about there were four times as many curses to blessings for disobeying the Old Testament law. You're wringing your hands on a daily basis. Did I, did I wash my hands right? Was that sacrifice just, you know, was it just good enough? Did I, you know, did I take the cows out and put them in the right pasture? And I mean, there were, what, 600 plus of rules and regulations according to that? There, there is a spirit of fear making sure that, hey, my fellowship with God, my ability to be in the camp here and, and be able to, to bring sacrifice before God was dependent upon me obeying this. And what if I mess up? Right? Um, I am, I'm a pretty laid back guy and I forget a lot of stuff. <laughs> I would have forgotten a lot of the, the rules and laws of the Mosaic Law. And uh, uh, there could be some hand-wringing, right? There, there was a spirit of fear uh, that came about knowing that uh, one mess-up, one, one whoopsie uh, in the Old Testament law, that, that you could put yourself in, in grave danger. And so we see also in 2 Corinthians that um, the Mosaic law, uh, it, it killeth. It was a ministry of death, right? Um, 
That doesn't sound like freedom to me. That sounds like, you know, walking the streets of um, Russia during Stalin's era, right? You're not sure if, you know, if the, the Gestapo, that was Nazis, right? The, uh, the KJB, right? Or whatever, K, you know, those guys, the bad guys, the bad Russian police, right? They're going to get you, throw you in the, you know, the black sedan and they never, you know, find out you're some gulag, right? That's fear, that's... What, what does he say here in 2 Corinthians 3.17? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is a freedom that we have in Christ and it's based on the fact that our position in Him and that we are indwelt not only with the Holy Spirit, but as was brought up yesterday, by the Godhead. So these verses indicate that the Spirit's indwelling provides the believer in Christ with a freedom that was never experienced by Israel under the law. Uh, Galatians 5.18, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And so, once again, uh, we're seeing in in, uh, Galatians chapter 5 that um, the believer uh, who has the ministry of the Spirit in their life, that we are not under law. And uh, this use of law is actually anarthrous. So, doesn't come through completely in the English. It's not the law. In this reference, he's not referring to the Mosaic law. He's talking about the any kind of religious law. You and I are not under any kind of religious law dictating and telling us what we can and we can't do as believers in Jesus Christ. So, you know... Um, Does every single Christian young person have to go to Christian college to be pleasing to God? Not according to this. That would be a law, right? Um, it may be God's will for your life to go to a Christian college, or it may be God's will for your life to go to a state college. But according to this passage here, we are not under any kind of, of law. Uh, purpose being is because I, I think many people struggle with the idea of what the, the purpose of the law was. Um, we see in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 20, that the law revealed sin, made it plainly obvious. Uh, the law also inflames the sin nature. So, I like to look at it this way. Um, we know that sugar affects kids in wild and random ways, right? Could you imagine sitting at the table, you know, just kind of spoon-feeding, you know, brown sugar or table sugar to your kid, right? Just feeding it to them. Here you go. Here, have this. And they're like, yeah, right? And they start bouncing off the wall, right? And they start throwing their milk all over the place and they start painting on the walls and stuff like that. And then you, and then you spank them. What are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. Sit at the table. Eat more sugar, right? So they eat more sugar, right? And then they're doing backflips and they're, they're beating up their sister. What are you doing? Spank, right? Well, that's what the law did. Because the law said, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, right? And then they're like, Aah! I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And we do it, and then the law's like, ah, you did it, <clears throat> sorry. And it was just like this recurring cycle, right? And so this leads to the fact that in Hebrews 7.19 says, the law matured no one. It couldn't, it didn't have the power to spiritually mature anyone. It pointed it out. Sinner, 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 right? But it didn't have the power to change and mature anyone spiritually. 
Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Once again, in Ann Arthur's use of, of law, so any kind of law, any kind of religious law here, um, we see that sin reigns over the one living by any kind of religious law. Uh, Pastor Kevin, I, I know you like to say that somebody says that they're living by the, the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law, just go home with them and, or ask their family, how, how are they doing, right? When we try to live by law, sin is going to dominate us because it inflames our sin nature. It doesn't change us. And so we see here this idea that... Um, the believer in Christ is to live their life by the grace of God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, right? Paul said uh, that we have been called to live by the grace of God. Uh, Courtney did an excellent job yesterday talking about God's child training. And uh, what, is it, what, are we, what are we told in Titus chapter 2, verse 11? It's the grace of God that child trains us, that brings us up. Um, I've come across people that think that child training is almost entirely um, just punitive. Stop that. Don't do that. Stop that. Don't do that. Stop that. Don't do that. I've, done, I've done my job. But what we saw yesterday from Scripture is that when God child trains the believer, there's so much more than that. There is chastening. But there's so much more to the God growing us than simply corre- um, correction. So deliverance from law provides the believer with the potential to serve with a new kind of spirit. Um, We have an ability to serve God in a way um, that is much different than individuals in the Old Testament. A much better way. Now we come into a a couple passages here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, and then 1 Corinthians 10 uh, where we see some, some pretty amazing statements here. And it says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Once again, Paul reiterates, reiterates excuse me, uh, in verse 23, that all things are lawful for him. This word lawful um, is, means it is permitted. It's, it's, it's allowable. It's okay. Uh, my second definition there says, uh, an action that is not prevented by a higher norm or court, and an action that there is no psychological or ethical block. In the New Testament, the term mostly refers to God's law or will with its specific demands, especially the Old Testament. So what Paul is saying here is that there is, that there is no religious restriction to the believer, that we have freedom in Christ when we are free from law. I have taught this in various places, and I've seen people get apoplectic. I mean, I've seen veins in foreheads. Uh, we actually had an intern at our church one time. I, he literally stood straight up and then sat back down. And he wasn't shouting hallelujah, I can tell you that. Um, it, it was a little distracting. I was like, oh, man, okay. Um, I guess he didn't like that point. Um, it can... It can it can unsettle some people when you talk about this kind of freedom because typically people are like, you can't do that. There's like YouTube videos of Christians gone crazy and it's all because of this type of teaching. But what we're going to see is that their understanding of Christian liberty is too narrow. 
They don't understand the power that God has provided us in order to be able to, uh, let's say, regulate that liberty. Um, The idea of Christians being granted limitless freedom strikes fear into the hearts of many saints. Uh, For them, these truths are derived from a literal interpretation, excuse me, although these truths are derived from a literal interpretation of the scriptures, the concept of the believer being free from law is merely a license for unrestrained sinful living. Um, you're going to see that half of the crowd that talks about Christian liberty talk about it out of fear. Like, you can't do that. You need God's eternal moral law to control people. You need the Ten Commandments up on the wall, Chick-fil-A, so people can see that so they know to behave, right? Because kids are going to be going crazy in the playground, Chick-fil-A, unless the Ten Commandments are there, telling them exactly what they need to do. This perspective is often the result either of failure to understand law's inability to mature anyone spiritually or a religious zeal attempting to demonstrate their own righteousness before God and others. Um, And another important contributing factor is a lack of appreciation for the benefits of grace that God has provided to the believer in Christ in order to live life consistent with his character. Um, Most people that struggle with this teaching is that they don't understand what God has provided us in our salvation. And we're going to look at this. Second um, Peter chapter, um, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, in the second paragraph there, says, according, Peter wrote, as according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us an exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So some of the, the gang that came down with me from Pensacola might get tired of my illustration, but um, growing up, watched Batman. And, uh, you know, the old school Batman with the, the camera angles that were always on the side, right? It was never straight up and down, it was always sideways. And uh, there was the one day that Penguin or Joker or whatever, they got Batman and they throw him in the ocean or a shark tank. And so it's like, you're finally like, oh yeah, you know, he's going to get Batman this time. And uh, so Batman's, you know, he's cool, calm, and collected and he's like, Robin, grab my shark repellent spray out of my bat belt. I'm like, dude, seriously? Really? You know, who's got shark repellent spray? Bat- uh, and MacGyver. MacGyver and Batman. Um, that drove me crazy, right? Why? Batman had everything he needed for every single situation. Do you know what Peter is saying here? You and I have at our disposal everything that we need to live a life, uh, excuse me, pertaining to life, the eternal life that we have, and godliness. Living this life in a way that speaks well of God. Living this way, living a life that people, when people see our lives, it reflects positively on the character of God. And you have everything you need as a believer in Jesus Christ in order to do that. You don't need some kind of a religious dictate saying, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. You're actually a sharer, and I appreciate Pastor Dave bringing this up. Uh, it's actually an anarthrous use there. So the divine nature is, we don't have... We are not uh, one with the divine nature, 
right? So we're, we're not teaching what maybe a Mormon would teach, that we, we aren't becoming God, but, but we able to be able to share in a quality of the divine nature. We can actually enjoy the character uh, of God, his attitudes of love and joy and long-suffering and uh, self-control, right? That is possible for all of us because he has given us that ability as part of our salvation. Why do I bring this up? Well, um, because it is this very fact that we're able to share in a quality of the divine nature that enables you and I to regulate this liberty. To make sure we are using the liberty that we have in Christ, using it in a way that is acceptable to God. One of the basic tenets in the study of God is that He is free. Okay, So God is not restrained by any outside influence, be it man or law. Um, basically saying that God is not God doesn't answer to anybody, right? He doesn't answer to us. Sometimes when we pray to God, we think that He ought to answer to us. Why did you allow, you know, God, why did you do that? Why did you let this happen in my life? Or why did you take this away? Well, God doesn't answer to us. He is free. He has absolute and complete freedom to behave in whatever manner He chooses. Now, for someone who doesn't understand the character of God, this could be a very scary thing, right? If somebody doesn't trust in the goodness of God and the, and the, more, uh, and the holy character of God, the fact that God is absolutely supreme and absolutely free to do whatever He wants, uh, that could scare them. And really, if it wasn't for the character of God, a lot of us would have a very bad day. Right? Sometimes when I roll out of bed, if I had absolute freedom, you know, my children would have a very bad day. Wake up as a bear, right? Um, and so we see that uh, hypothetically, an all-knowing and all-powerful God without moral higher laws restraining his behavior who wakes up on the wrong side of the bed can make a lot of people have a bad day. But that's not the picture of the God of the Bible. It is God's holy, righteous, and loving character which regulates his supreme freedom. Because of who he is, God will always do what is right. So imagine when going through uh, throughout human history, God is not sitting on the throne with a filing cabinet next to him where he is, um, uh, he is consulting the, uh, the ethics for divinity book that he picked up at the Christian's bookstore to wonder how he's supposed to deal with his creation. So a divine God sh- shouldn't do this, 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 and this. So I guess I, can't, I guess I can't zap these people and I guess I can't do that. No. God is not regulated by a law. God has absolute and complete freedom, and yet He always does, does what is right because of who He is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's love. He's always going to make the right choice. And here's the amazing thing, is that God has granted grace believers with this freedom because as Peter stated, God has promised us that we can share in the divine nature that regulates His supreme freedom. God is going to use his freedom the right way because of who he is. And because you and I share in an, uh, uh, an aspect of the divine nature where we can, we, can, we can enjoy his attitudes, we have the ability also to regulate the freedom that he has provided us uh, in, in a way that is, that is consistent with his character. 
Um, because of these precious promises, no believer ever needs to fear the words, you're not under the law. Rather, that we should rejoice and shout, and I quote uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Um, there are a lot of people eaten up with, am, am I allowed to do this? Can I do this? I, I, is this activity okay? I, all these other people aren't doing it, and, and they're, they're just eaten up by trying to live by some kind of religious standard, some kind of religious law, and realizing that we are, we are free in Christ. And God has provided us with, with everything that we need in order to make sure that we are using that freedom in a way that's consistent with who He is. The majority of discussions about Christian liberty within broader Christianity tend to focus on what one can and cannot do based on the believer's freedom from law. So I heard a lot about this uh, when I was uh, a student at a Christian college. Uh, I got saved later on in life um, and uh, went to a a state college. I got saved when I was going to a state college and worked for a number of years, and then I went to a Christian college. Uh, A little bit older, they put me in a very special section. Uh, As an older student, they called it Geritol Hall. And uh, so we had a little bit more freedom as as geriatrics uh, down there at the Christian college. Um, But most of the discussion was like, freedom means I get to do this. See, when I grew up in my youth group, my youth pastor told me, good Christians don't listen to this. Good Christians don't watch this. Good Christians don't hang out with these people. Good Christians don't do this. And now I've got freedom, so I can do all kinds of things. And that was it. That was Christian liberty to so many people that I talked to. Um, But what we see here is that that fails to address um, a very other important side of Christian liberty. Because let's let's go ahead and look at that uh, original verse we've been looking at. Uh, For brethren, ye have been called or invited to live by liberty... Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Um, Christian liberty is not all about the things you and I get to do now. There's more to it. And he's saying, essentially, he's, he's limiting our use of this liberty to things that are not related to our flesh or sin nature, the desires of the flesh. He says here in uh, Galatians 5.13, the believer's freedom from the sin nature plays an integral role in them being able to fully appreciate the liberty they have in Christ. The scriptures demonstrate that God has graced believers with the privilege and authority to self-regulate their limitless freedom. Um, I haven't included the passages in here, but one of the things that uh, we see in, um, about our liberty is that in Romans chapter 8 we're talking about uh, how we are adopted into the family of God and I believe it was Courtney yesterday you were talking about uh, the, uh, the adoption process and how it's not necessarily a, a choosing a child from a South American country and having them come into your family but in uh, the, uh, the biblical context has the idea of being placed as a mature son within the family one with full rights and privileges So the moment you are saved, from God's perspective, you and I, regardless of our age, right? So my my children, when they were saved at the age of five, they were placed as a mature uh, child in God's family. And he's given us a wonderful privilege for you and I to be able to regulate for ourselves the liberty that he has provided us. It's a privilege. Um, 
Uh, Courtney brought this up in his child training um, uh, lessons yesterday. The fact that what does God want us to do? God wants us to judge ourselves, right? He says, if we judge ourselves properly, he's not even going to get involved in the correction process. That's a big boy thing to do, right? Uh, I got a good report from my wife yesterday. Um, uh, one of my sons, he, apparently the trash had been in the trash can too long and there were, there were some creatures living in the trash can. Um, he, just, my, he was in the backyard scrubbing it out. My wife's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, there, you know, there's these things crawling around in there. I was like, man, that's, that's a big boy thing to do. All right, all right man, you know, I'll get an attaboy when I come home. He did that all on his own, right? You want to see that. That's maturity, right? Your kids clean up their room by themselves. You know, Jackie was talking about how yesterday how some of her sons would, would clean their rooms. And they made that decision for themselves. You know what? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this place together. I'm going to get it cleaned up. And you're like, okay, yeah, all right. That's what God wants for each of us. And he's given us the ability by us um, being able to share in the divine nature that we can regulate our liberty in a way that is consistent with God's character. And so this freedom here from the sin nature enables every believer to pursue God's desirous will for their lives and to do that which is in the best interests of others, um, other believers, even if it means foregoing their liberty. And just kind of wrap up the idea of the law one of the problems with um, Israel under the law was the focus was, was inward. The focus was, you know, did I wash my hands? Did I cook the food the right way? Did I eat something that would have made me unclean? Did I... And so you're constantly running through this mental checklist. Did I do enough? Did I do this? Did I do that? Right? And you and I know that when we are consumed with our own stuff... What happens to all those folks around us? They're, they're very unimportant. Well, I got to pay these bills, and I got to go to Walmart, and I got to, and I, I got to run and pick up the kids at soccer practice, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and this, and that. But and then other people have needs around you, and it's I'm consumed on what I have to accomplish, right? Law fixated an individual's mind on what they needed to do in order to be right with God. And what we're going to see here is Christian liberty, it frees us from that. And now, it enables us to focus our minds on the needs of other believers. It frees us to love. And it frees us to love sacrificially. So the other side of the coin here is that there is a freedom from the sin nature. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 uh, and 2, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, I know this is not groundbreaking material for many of you folks here um, at this church. And that's a wonderful thing. The fact that you recognize and you understand that you are dead to the power of a sin nature. By being in Christ, by the, um, you, are, you are now dead to the sin nature. And but what is he saying? He's asking this question. Because we have been freed by grace... Does that mean we just keep on sinning? And he says, no, of course not. That would answer the question for the individual. It says, you can't preach freedom. You can't preach Christian liberty. 
No, people are going to go crazy. Their sin nature is going to be out of control. But clearly, that's not what Paul is teaching here because he says, no, don't keep on sinning. That's not what grace is all about. Romans 6.11, he says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead unto sin, uh, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God has promised every single believer that by being baptized into Christ, you are dead to the authority of the sin nature in your life. It is still present. It's, it's kind of like, um, so we had a fantasy football league, well, we still do, um, in, our, in, our, um, in our church. And we have this text stream, right? And um, typically, I don't have a very good season, but I do have an A-plus trash-talking game. And so <clears throat> I might be being beaten by somebody by hundreds of point in, points in a given week, but I'll text on the text stream. You know, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm ready to make my comeback now or, and all this stuff. And the guy's just like, whatever. He's, he's just yapping, right? He's just yapping. I just do it to try to get under their skin because um, I can't beat them in, in the game. Um, so that's like our sin nature, right? It's got no teeth. But it's just yapping, yapping, yapping. And he says what we need to do is reckon it to be dead. Come to that logical conclusion that the sin nature is dead because God said it's dead. It's a a promise that we need to trust by faith. In Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, we read this. "Let uh, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So what we see here is that you and I and all believers have the potential to live free from the rule and reign of the sin nature in our life. Sin nature keeps on yapping, right? Keeps on producing these desires, But now as a believer in Christ, it's like, don't think so. I don't have to. I don't have to to carry that out to its conclusion. Why? Because not only am I dead to this in nature, but we also see an amazing truth that we've been made alive unto God. Instead of being ruled by our sin nature, now we can live in a way that we uh, we, we have this personal relationship with the creator of the universe. And we see here that it's not law, but grace that enables one to live victorious over the sin nature. You can tell somebody umpteen times, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But that's not going to enable them to stop doing that wrong action. But you teach them about the Spirit's indwelling and God's enablement and that He's given you everything that you need in order to live a life uh, 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 for life and godliness... Right? And they begin to learn how to fix their mind on their position in Christ right? and who we are in Him. God starts changing us. God starts maturing us. God starts taking those desires away. God starts uh, making up for the, uh, where we're lacking in these attitudes that we need to have. And it begins changing the way we live. In Romans 7, 6, we see, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of, of the letter. So there's a new kind of spirit that we are able to serve with now that we are dead to, um, 
We have been delivered from the law. So once again, after reminding the Galatians that God had invited them to live in the liberty that their position in Christ had provided them, uh, Paul instructs them not to use their liberty as a starting point or base of operations for the sin nature. So when he says, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, uh, that word occasion uh, has this idea of a, a base of operations, um, a toehold. I know uh, Pastor Dave, we were talking about, uh, he has an interest in World War II history. And uh, if you know anything about World War II history, when the, when the Allies invaded the beaches of Normandy, uh, they were able to push the Germans back and they, they had what was called a beachhead. Right? Uh, so they controlled the beaches of, of Normandy you know, up to a couple miles in. They had a toehold on Europe. It was, an op- it was an area where more troops could be deployed and supplies could be dropped off and tanks could roll in so that then they could sp- uh, spread out into Europe and continue the, uh, the attack against the Germans. And that's the idea here of not using our liberty as a base of operations for the flesh. Don't use your liberty as an excuse and an opportunity for your sin nature to, to run rampant. It's the exact opposite. Paul's saying exactly opposite what people say. You can't teach freedom. You can't teach that because people go crazy. And he's saying that's, the, it's, that's exactly what Paul is saying. But he says we still have that freedom and we can enjoy that freedom. So it is obvious from the statement that Paul did not intend for Christian liberty to result in a license for sin, although he very clearly wrote in other passages, all things are lawful unto me. When God freed the believer from the power of their sin nature at the moment of salvation, he freed them, or all of us really, um, from the authority of all those selfish and twisted desires that would abuse and misuse this incredible freedom. When you hear someone say, well, you can't teach Christian liberty because people will go crazy and they won't control themselves, it tells you something about their theology. It tells you that they don't recognize that if they're a believer in Christ, they have the ability within themselves not to sin. They have the ability within themselves not to misuse the liberty that God has given them, but they must be thinking that they need some kind of outward compulsion. Uh, They need... um, They look at uh, living the Christian life as kind of like spiritual whack-a-mole. You know, at the arcade when they have the mole heads and you have the big thumper, right? Poof, 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 right? God's got to keep on whacking me, right? You know, they want that preaching, that fire and brimstone to make me feel bad so I stop doing the bad stuff that I'm doing. I I need to get beat down. Oh, you know, step on my toes, preacher, right? No, grace, child trains us. Not getting whacked over the head by God over and over and over and over, right? Bad boy, bad boy, bad boy, bad boy. And so we see this idea that um, the fact that um, when he's freed us from our sin nature, we don't have to give in to those selfish desires that would pervert and abuse the liberty that God has provided us. We don't have to. We don't have to misuse the liberty because we have everything we need to use it in the right way. God has given each of us the privilege and the authority to regulate our freedom now that we are dead to the sin nature. We can be entrusted with that. Right? Um, I grew up in, uh, Rick and I were talking, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. 
And at that time, I don't know what the population is now, it was, it was just under a million people. And um, I was one of the, they call them latchkey kids, right? All, all the parents were working. And I remember roaming the streets of Wilmington, Delaware as a third grader, right? Just walking around, going down Stapler Park, you know, down there by Kitchelines and All right. Anyway, so it, you're just walking around there, riding your bike and hanging out and getting all kinds of mischief and stuff, right? Um, I was on my own. Uh, I, was, I was out and about, and, and there was complete freedom. Um, the world has changed considerably uh, since I was a kid. Uh, we live in a, uh, we live in a, a nice community, um, and uh, it's pretty quiet, but I don't feel comfortable letting my two boys just take their bikes and go in wherever they want now because of the world that we live in. Uh, I'm kind of like branching out now. I'm like, all right, guys, you know, all right, go, go ahead and do a couple laps, and you know, I'll be waiting for you to come back. Uh, it is not like my parents when they let me go out for like five hours of time and I'd show up around dinner time, right? And it was just, they had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but there's going to be a point when I, when I feel like, okay, these guys can handle it. They're mature enough. They're responsible enough. I'm just going to let them, you know, come, come back in two hours or whatever you guys do your thing, come back in two hours. Um, at that point, I, I, have, I have put my faith and trust in that they're going to be able to handle those situations that they, they come up with. God has entrusted to you and I the privilege and the responsibility of regulating this amazing freedom that he has provided us. And he's given us this ability. Um, and so in this next part, I guess uh, this would probably be, a, I know it's a, a few minutes early, but this would probably be a good stopping point uh, before we start looking at the idea how, how we are to regulate this liberty. Because it's, it's, it's mind-boggling stuff. right? When Paul says that all things are lawful unto us, he means all things. But then he also says that we've been freed from our sin nature, and so don't use that liberty uh, for an opportunity to give in to your sin nature. But now, how do we regulate this? How are we uh, have uniquely qualified uh, to make sure we are making use of the liberty that God has provided us in a way that is consistent with God's character? 